I don't know what that means, but I'm here, I'm there, I'm everywhere. So, yes, I guess I'm ready to gobble, gobble. Got to gobble down the bullshit. Oh, Um, yes. Because there's a lot of it. A shit ton, if I may. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to start with... Yes. I mentioned this on one of our shows the other day. I've mentioned it on a few of my shows, but i got to talk about it here because this is the main place for it. My favourite. Uh, of all of the bullshit that I've read in the last month, <laughs> this is without a doubt, right? My favorite. Um, I want to stand up in the camera and show you this wet patch on the front of my pants. Wow, um, a little higher, a little higher. Hmm. Okay, now tug on it, tug. T- yeah, okay, I see. I want to assure yeah. you that it's that that's actually cafe latte that I spilled on myself. I thought it was only on my shirt, but uh, it got on my pants too. Apparently, is that what the um, kids are calling it nowadays? Look at my <laughs> cafe latte. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I digress. This was my favourite bullshit story uh, in the last month or so. This was in the right. Australian Financial Review, which is sort of our financial newspaper, the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal, not owned by the Murdochs, though. But um, it was a story ostensibly about right. our current Labor Prime Minister. Uh, the Labor Party for <laughs> Americans is our equivalent of the Democrats, supposedly right. our left major party, but really centre-right major party. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Prime Minister is a guy called uh, Anthony Albanese, but that's too hard to say, so yes. Aussies just call him Albo. Not even yeah. uh, Prime Minister, PM Albo. It's just Albo. He's just Albo. Everyone refers okay. to him as Albo. Albo. Yeah, like our, our former Prime prime Minister, the um, Hillsong fan, uh, Scott Morrison, was just known as ScoMo. Uh, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have to abbreviate just, both yeah. names to come up with something cute for Albanese. It's just Albo. Anyway. Albo. Albo. With respect. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, a few weeks ago, your prime minister, Sleepy Joe Biden, uh, was supposed to come down to Australia for a meeting of the Quad. Right. uh, Which watchers of succession will know as the the, uh, siblings plus Greg, I think. You're going to get Greg in there. Final episode of Succession this week. It was really. For, I don't think you watched Succession, do you? I, I've started it, but I've got a long way to go because everybody, uh, can, yo, you gotta watch it. So now yeah, I'm watching it due to do. peer pressure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good. <laughs> you do everything in your life due to peer pressure, don't you? <laughs> Pretty much. 
really much. fucking good uh, ending, I thought. But anyway, cool. um, Look, Sleepy Joe Biden was supposed to come down here, uh, stumbly Biden, as he is today after falling over on stage at some Air Force thing. Hey, things Stumbles, getting away. Yeah, 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 St- yeah, yeah. Stumbles was supposed to come down here for a quad <laughs> meeting. Uh, pulled out. Um, right, as you do. Which uh, sadly your father didn't um, <laughs> wow. at the last minute because wow. of the U.S. debt ceiling right. negotiations. Yes, uh, which but, even so, exist. But Go then ahead. he went to Japan for the G7 meeting a few days later, and mm-hmm. Albo caught up with him there. Now, in the Financial Review, right. there's this story talking about how the G7 Leaders Summit focused on condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. A message right. emphasized by the president, uh, presence of President Vladimir Zelensky and right. tackling China's economic and military coercion. Um, apparently, the G7 not very happy about China using economic coercion to get <gasps> countries Gasp. around the world to... Um, do their bidding. Uh, well, yeah, do its bidding or at least to be friendly to it uh, right. as part of right. the Belt and Road Initiative. Economic coercion, bad, Ray. Uh, bad. Economic coercion from China, bad. The same, yes. the very same article. Yeah. Um, in the actual fucking headline, nonetheless, <laughs> is this. In a story that says China's economic coercion, bad, this is, the headline is Australia to get a bigger slice of IRA billions. Now, that's not the um, uh, Irish Revolutionary Army, no, unfortunately. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> it, it is. The uh, sub headline is uh, Australian mining and energy companies could get expanded access to billions of dollars worth of subsidies from right. US President Joe Biden's signature Inflation Reduction Act under deals to grant special status to the country's defence manufacturing and critical minerals industries. Mm. So the same fucking article that says economic coercion (laughs) from China bad literally leads with Australia is excited to be getting economic coercion from the United States. Yes. I think you'll – I think – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, ahead, sir. No, no. Go ahead, go ahead. I I think we can all agree that the American teat, if you will, is much sweeter – than the Chinese teat. No, uh, when you when you get something from America like that, and you're Australia, it's a bonus. It's a win. It's a good thing. When China does it to other countries, it's damn near evil. But yeah, but it's all relative, right? It's the same exact thing, just the other side of the coin. Like my favorite story uh, a year ago, right? Where, where there were two stories that ran side by side in the media. I think it was like in the ABC teats. here. Two teats, right? yeah. One story was um, there's there's no legitimate reason for Russia to invade Ukraine. Ukraine Not is one. a sovereign nation and it can do yes. whatever it wants. If it wants to do a deal with NATO or the United States, yeah. it can do yeah. that because yeah. it's a sovereign nation and Russia has no business telling a sovereign nation what deals with other countries it can and can't do. Preach. Almost next to it was another story instead of <laughs> If the Solomon Islands go ahead with doing a deal with China, America right. does not rule out the option that it may invade the Solomon Islands. Okay. Uh, I, I but didn't at least, finish my but, analogy. But, but at least then, like a year ago, they were still putting right. these stories somewhat side by side. 
They're yeah. assuming, okay, listen, if, if Billy Bloggs, uh, one of our loyal readers, reads one story, they're probably not going to read the other story and pick up the hypocrisy in right. that. They're going to go, oh, they're just going to go straight past them. They're not going to pick it up. Now they're, they're so bold, they're putting it in the same fucking story. They economic coercion from China, bad. Economic coercion from America, uh, <laughs> good. And not to mention the fact that they were holding this G7 meeting in Hiroshima, of all places. Right. Um, Russia, Russia bad for attacking this country. Um, by the way, hey, come and look at this place that we nuked, uh, <laughs> and have never apologized for nuking, right? Anyway, um, I didn't, fi- I didn't finish my analogy. The teats are lopsided, one is better than the other, one is higher than the other. I'm, I'm sorry, I should have finished that, but uh, no, uh, but, but <laughs> you know how it is. I mean, the Cold War, baby. Uh, <laughs> America is just coming home to roost. We don't really, I don't think we know anything other than do it our way. And if we have to, we'll either slap you with $100 bills or we'll drop a bomb on you. I, I, because of the Cold War, and I'm not blaming the Cold War, but I'm saying because of the Cold War, America has basically two ways of operating and we don't know anything else. And I don't think we can see any other country as our equal, again, because of certain events in the Cold War. But um, yeah, it's all complete bullshit and everybody's lying all the time. But the fact that they're putting it in the same newspaper, in the same article, maybe they just don't feel like they have to hide it anymore. I was talking to Tony Coniston about this. He's a smart fella. And yeah, I said, for do, you, do you think, <laughs> do you think they, the, the writers of the article and the, the editors, uh, journalists and the editors are just thinking, they didn't catch um, it. Fuck it. No yeah. one's who gives a fuck. fuck. No one's going to notice. Yeah. He said, yeah. I don't think, he said, and I, I think he's right. He said, I don't think they notice the hypocrisy in that. I think it goes over not, their own heads. It's not to them. Money from America, no matter what, why, is a good thing. And you're talking, we get access to maybe potentially millions or billions of dollars. How can that not be a good thing? Um, mm. it's just, it's already baked in. I, th- I think Tony uh, is right. I think it's already baked in. They don't see it as bad. So they don't like, Ooh, maybe we should put that in a different, you know, no, to them, it's the price of doing business. I mean, it's completely normal. Not to mention the fact that, you know, uh, in the last couple of years, all of our, uh, diplomats have been going cap in hand to China <laughs> Right. Begging them to buy more of our natural resources, um, uh, because right. when Scott Morrison decided that uh, jumping on the Donald Trump bandwagon was probably a good thing to do, <laughs> and uh, after COVID broke out, and he said, "I think we need an investigation to what really happened in the COVID labs in China." Right. Um, China got a little bit pissy about that and said, "You know what? We're not going to buy any of your shit anymore." Right. Um, and so diplomats and um, government officials have been trying to undo that damage for the last few years. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're econ- China's economic coercion, bad, but please, you know, buy more of our stuff. Um, <laughs> please, sir, can I have another? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Anyway, yeah. enough about that. It's just, it's when you see these stories uh, and the hypocrisy is just so plain and no right. one's batting an eyelid, it just, just tickles me. I shake my head yeah. and I have a, I have a giggle. Um, <laughs> speak Well, if you want to speak about America's uh, modus operandi, ha- have you right. watched any of the Oliver Stone, Vladimir Putin interview series yet? 
No, no. Tell me more about it. Because you said it was like several hours long uh, yeah. and I forgot popcorn that night. But no, I haven't got around to that. It's four episodes. Um, four episodes. In, there we go. Interviews were done between 2015 and 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Four hours long, four hour long episodes. Um right. I think it's on Showtime in the US. Um, almost impossible to get in Australia because you can't, mm. you know, Showtime here is scattered right. across a bunch of streaming networks. None of them carried this. You would think a four-hour-long interview with Vladimir Putin would probably yeah. be uh, at, at this juncture in history, yeah. something really timely. important that would be easy Ti- to find and watch. Yeah, timely, yeah, timely. relevant, yeah. Uh, really <laughs> hard to find. You said he came across as, I'm going to use these words, air quotes, normal human being. Maybe yeah. that's why it's not that excessive. Yeah. Whereas if he'd yeah. been frothing at the mouth, it'd be all over the place. Yeah. I'm into Sorry. the third hour of the interview now. I sort right. of, you know, it, it takes a lot of concentration to watch because uh, it's subtitled. His Putin's yeah. words are subtitled. He's speaking in Russian. It's just subtitled. And um, so you have to focus, and I don't get a lot of time to sit and watch stuff. But uh, no, you I, get two uh, redheads in the house. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm really enjoying it. And, and cool. y- you know, we have – um, made a study of the United States' uh, geopolitical history and its current mm-hmm. uh, through this show, the, the way it operates. And Putin reflects that. Like, he, he, he's a pretty smart guy. He understands it as well, if not better than we do. I'm saying that facetiously because, of course, he understands it better than we do. But, <laughs> you know, it's he's very matter-of-fact. And he keeps referring to the United States as our partners. Uh, You know, our partners do this, our partners do that. And uh, at one point, Oliver Stone goes, why do you keep calling them your partners? You know, they're they're obviously your enemies, not your partners. He said, well, we believe in in dialogue, we believe in diplomacy, and we just hope that one day we'll be able to sit down and do business with them. He talks about why he supported George W. Bush's War on Terror, Mm-hmm. Um, and because he figured we all had this, you know, after 9 yes. 11, he said, I figured we, yes. we all stopping Islamic terrorism, fundamentalist terrorism was sort of a common goal that we should get on board and support. We should all do that. Absolutely. Uh, it's just like, uh, I know this is uh, sounds unpopular to people, but everyone needs to watch this, honest to God. And yeah make up your own mind about Putin, but he just comes across, to me anyway, right. uh, in this is very, very intelligent, very, very um, uh, just practical, very practical yeah. man um, yeah. trying to, you know, run his country. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's it's very, very interesting series of interviews that I highly recommend. I would like to do that. And maybe we could uh, watch one at a time and talk about it, but that's that's a future idea. Um, I don't know what you've heard lately, but according to the never wrong Western press, uh, Putin has lost it. He's gone over the deep end. He's crazy. He's insane. He's trying to destroy the world. So what you're talking about must have been AI, CGI, KGB, uh, sock puppet. I don't know. But uh, clearly he, he's gone over the deep end, according to my sources, which is pretty much every Western newspaper out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is 
you know, the demonization of the enemy is something that goes hand in hand with war, always has done. Yeah. Yes. You go back and, and you, you go back and look at <laughs> British cartoons about Napoleon oh, from the late yeah. 1700s, early 1800s. They're always depicting him as uh, a dwarf demon. Um, Rotund. Well, yeah. eventually, yeah, but not in the early yeah. cartoons. Right. He's like this a skinny little, little demon, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, literally a demon. So the demonization of the enemy goes hand in hand. You have you have to sort of demonize the enemy right. if you want to. You're trying to justify your war to your people. The U.S. obviously has done that with everybody from um, Pol Pot the through to right. oh, so, um, Ho Chi Minh, um, Hitler, Stalin, um, you name it, yeah. uh, Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein, mm-hmm. uh, who else is thrown into the mix there? I, I, there's a long list of names. Now, uh, right. you know, honestly, some of them were crazy or yeah. crazy-ish and did a lot of horrible things. But also, right. you know, they were – uh, rational realists as well. And as we've talked about on the show, probably in the Cold War show, Stalin wasn't batshit crazy. Stalin had justifications for everything he did. Hitler mm-hmm. wasn't batshit crazy. I mean, depending on how you uh, judge that, I guess. But, you know, yes, sending millions of people to extermination is seems crazy to most right. of us. I mean, it's psychopathic. Um, but uh, the flip side is he had rational justifications in his mind for why they did what they did. And here's the thing, yeah. you know, I'm a big believer that unless you try and understand how these people are thinking and you try and understand their justifications for what they're doing, yeah. um, you can't really begin to understand it and you can't figure out what to do about it apart from just attack, attack, attack. If you just yeah. demonize these people as crazy and idiots and warmongers, et cetera, et cetera, you don't yeah. have to stop and think about, well, you know, is there anything else we could have done or could do about their concerns and their issues next time? Right. Is there anything yeah. that we could do differently, we could do better, et cetera? Yeah. Anyway, speaking about Ukraine, uh, John Mearsheimer, um, university professor from Chicago, mm-hmm. a geopolitical realist. Um, I've talked about him on this show a lot over the last right. year in particular. Uh, he was one of the main voices after Russia invaded Ukraine last year who said, yeah, well, you know, this is about NATO uh, encroachment. And yes. well, we all knew that this was a distinct possibility if we kept pushing NATO closer and closer to Russia's borders that eventually they would have to do something about it. Yeah, um, he has been vilified uh, endlessly for saying these things, but it hasn't stopped him. There's a great talk on YouTube, and I think uh, you've seen some of it um, mm-hmm. that he's given in the last week at a thing called the Committee for the Republic, sort of a not-for-profit uh, think, not a think tank, like an association in the US, right? Yeah, an organization it's got, or whatever. Yeah. It's got one of those names that makes me throw up a little bit in my mouth, but. <laughs> They they got him in about a week ago to give a speech about the state of things in Ukraine. Yes. And um, I thought it was really interesting, very well delivered. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, he's he's saying he's very sceptical that there's any peace deal to be had now there. Right. Uh, he, says, he says that all parties, and by all parties we mean primarily Russia, Ukraine, and the United States, 
see this war, losing this war as an existential risk. Exactly. Um, so mostly Russia yeah. and NATO is an existential risk. Russia sees NATO in Ukraine as an existential risk, risk mm-hmm. their country. Mm-hmm. Ukraine yeah. obviously sees losing the war to Russia as an existential risk. The US sees Ukraine losing the war, maybe not as a risk to the existence of the United States, but an existential risk for NATO. He's saying yes. that if they lose this, it's going to weaken uh, NATO, even though Ukraine's not a part of NATO officially, they're treating it as a you know, presumptive member of NATO with the $118 exactly. billion dollars of support the US has thrown to Ukraine, and I think an equal number has come out of uh, the EU. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's basically saying that he doesn't see any of them being willing to sit down and negotiate uh, a peace deal right now. He says it's a war of attrition, it's trench warfare, uh, yeah. World War One style. They're just going to keep going and keep going and keep going until somebody runs out of people or bullets or political will, but he doesn't see that right. likely to be happening anytime soon. What freaked me out was very early on in his speech, like you were saying, he goes, I don't think there's going to be a resolution. There may be a ceasefire and that ceasefire. And he didn't say this, but it made me think of it. Not unlike Korea, there might be a ceasefire that lasts for years or for decades. But you're right. When you have all the major players going, no matter what, we have to win. Suddenly there are no rules. There are no limitations. And you do whatever you have to to win. And we'll get to that in another episode. But yeah, he, he was he was freaking me out a little bit. He's like, look, I can I can do all the details. But basically, here's what's going to happen. And I don't know how and when, but Russia's going to win. Ukraine's going to lose any, anywhere between 23 and 40%, 46% of their land. And either America and NATO has to learn to live with that, or they're going to ratchet up this war, and suddenly it won't be a proxy war. We might be facing each other directly, and of course, nobody wants that. But he, he and you stressed this, and he stressed this. It was ever since something like 2008, I can't remember the exact year, Russia said, do not approach us. We are not fucking around. Like Stalin said, when it comes to Poland, this is a matter of life or death for us. We are not playing games. We might not be perfect. You might, whatever, we were allies at one time, but now we're the enemy Cold War. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? This is not a game for us. If you come, we will fight. And I don't know if you want to call it arrogance or naivete or hoping for the best. The West came and Russia is now fighting. Again, you don't have to like it. You don't have to like Russia. You don't have to like Putin. But if somebody breaks into your house, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to defend what is yours. Who are you talking about? What's the analogy of the house being broken into there? Russia's house being broken into or Ukraine's house? Uh, Russia's house is being broken into because Ukraine is like knock, knock, knocking on the door. And through them, NATO and Russia said, you know, for years, do not do this. This is not a game we can afford to play and lose. And they're not. Yeah, they're not playing. Yeah. I mean, as we've talked about on the show before, I mean, as late as January 2022, Biden was having discussions with Putin was having discussions with Biden and Putin was saying, uh, you know, that. They wanted to. They wanted ironclad agreements from the US that Ukraine wouldn't join yeah. NATO, and Biden said, "Hey, it's not even up for discussion. When right. we can't even talk about that, you know." Yeah. Um, the, the sort of yeah, and and you know that was the provocation. 
that uh, they were throwing at Putin. When you say that we're not even going to talk about something, yeah, yeah that's not diplomacy. It's, that's, it's, it's the opposite. Yeah, of that's diplomacy. just two fingers in somebody's face, right? It's like <laughs> fuck you. We're not even talking about. Take off your glove, slap them across the face, and then wonder why they react. But yeah, you're yeah. right. It's the exact opposite of diplomacy. Now, as we've talked about before, um, obviously, when the invasion happened, the U.S. took it as an opportunity to throw sanctions uh, against Russia, additional sanctions against Russia. Yeah. Um, sort of story in The Guardian on the 21st of May, the West's tightening of Russian sanctions is a sign of failure, says Larry Elliott at The Guardian. Uh, the tightening of sanctions against Russia announced by the G7 summit in Hiroshima is evidence mm-hmm that the West remains solidly behind Ukraine in its battle against aggression. Right. It is also a sign of failure, he says. Yes. Um, Wasn't it supposed to knock them out? Wasn't it supposed to shrink everything up, take away their ability to wage war, make them suffer, make the people suffer, and they would come begging to us to, to stop the sanctions? Not quite what has happened. Yeah, but see, this is my issue. That is the right. commonly held belief about what the sanctions are supposed to do, but I don't think that's what the sanctions are supposed to do at right. all. I mean, if at all, uh, it's a, a secondary or tertiary uh, objective yeah. of the sanctions. Anyway, Icing on uh, the cake. Yeah. yeah, Larry Alec goes on to say, despite talk of quick victory, there's been no knockout blow in the economic war, let alone signs that freezing assets, targeting oligarchs, seeking alternative energy sources and depriving Russia of vital components has brought about a change of heart in the Kremlin. Right. Um, now, of course, uh, you know, there are a couple of versions of this story. On one hand, people will say, yes, well, mm-hmm. um, sanctions take time. This is going to take right. years to... Trickle down into their economy and take effect, et cetera, et cetera. And that may be true. The longer sanctions go on, the the more damage they do. Yeah. As countries like Cuba and North Korea and Venezuela that have lived under US uh, sanctions for decades Mm -hmm. would be able to attest. Um, I saw. My uh, friend David Markham post a thing the other day, you know, like uh, capitalism is uh, better than socialism. Just look at the economies of uh, Venezuela and Cuba and North Korea. And I was like, yeah, do you want to talk about the impact of the economic sanctions against those countries for decades and what's that's done to the economy? But yeah, you can't have that conversation with Markham. You just can't. Yeah. I just can't well, have an intelligent conversation or- with him about these things. It's, well, he's a true patriot, but it's apples and oranges. Yeah, what like you've said in the past, what would their economies look like if we hadn't had decades long, you know, economic restrictions? But I want to go back to something you just said a second ago. You can have all the sanctions you want. You can hurt these people economically all you want, but if there is an existential or a perceived existential threat to them, they will live without. For as long as they can, if not forever, because the the alternative is so much worse. They can lose everything. So sanctions, yeah, maybe it makes you feel good or you can pound the table and you can say you're doing something. You can tell the, the newspapers that you're doing things. But at the end of the day, if the Russians believe and um, Mearsheimer really convinced me that he thinks that Russia thinks uh, th- this entire situation is an existential threat. 
they're going to keep going. And of course, when he talks to people about it and they're like, they're crazy. It's not a threat. He goes, it doesn't matter what you think. It's what they think because that's what they're basing their actions off of. So again, yeah. sanction away. But if someone's, if it's literally a zero sum game, they're going to fight until they can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting back to my uh, key Ooh, point though, is that please. sanctions are positioned uh, in this case as right. trying to damage the Russian economy to make it difficult them for, to, for them to wage war and, and possibly yeah. bring about some sort of regime change in Russia. If the Russian people mm. rise up in mm -hmm. some sort of a colored revolution kind of deal, right. which, you know, is fine. But I think the real, objective of the sanctions is right. and always has been uh, as a way of benefiting uh, U.S. and allied um, companies, energy companies, yeah. energy companies in particular, <laughs> but a lot of other companies as well. So basically all of the Russian companies mm -hmm. that were trading in Europe oh, and around the world, selling right. oil and gas and other resources, um, uh, unable to do that, so the US yes. and their allies are able to step in and pick up all of yeah. that business. Uh, quite often, usually at uh, good margins, because uh, exactly. you know when the when the Russian supply of oil and gas, just as one example, was taken out of the global market, and that didn't happen quickly. People kept buying it for you know in yes. Europe for a good year. But right. as those things get taken out of the market, the amount of uh, supply in the global market decreases, which means the yeah. if the demand stays constant but the supply levels drop, prices go up, margins go right. up, profits go up. Now um, that then gets you know it's been impacted by uh, yeah. deals that Russia's been able to do with China and India and other countries. Uh, mm -hmm. So it. it it hasn't necessarily worked out perfectly, for, even for the oil providers. Like the crude oil price hasn't exactly consistently gone up over that period. It's right. sort of been going down recently. But I think that's the, the real, which they don't talk about in the media. Wait, what happened? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, you've run out of uh, your free episode. <laughs> The uh, full episode went for about two hours today, and if you want to listen to the other hour and a half, I'm sorry, but you need to be a Bullshit Filter subscriber. Be a member of the bullshit. Accept the bullshit into your heart for the cost of a cup of coffee a month, five bucks. You can be a Bullshit Filter supporter. So go over to the website, thebullshitfilter.com, sign up, become a member, and then you get to listen to the full episodes every month and our entire archive of episodes going back over the years. So that's thebullshitfilter.com.